Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Today is Palm Sunday. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. How many of you out here have hope of deliverance one day? You have hope of deliverance. And you might say, well, what am I going to be delivered from? Well, birthdays, sickness, health problems, stress. You can add to that list anything that is negative. His comfort, his strength, his shelter throughout our lives, I think we've all have experienced it to one degree or another. God has plans for us. He has promises. If we're older and we've been walking with the Lord, we know that He is a God of His Word. It's worth hanging in there. He's worth waiting for. He's worth dying for. Zechariah 9.9 was a prophecy of about four or 500 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And it talked about the king riding in to Jerusalem on a donkey. And some of the songs we sang today had Hosanna, Hosanna in it. Praising the Lord. And on this particular day that we celebrate today, Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And many people, crowds gathered, praising Him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Many of them were hoping that they were going to be delivered from the Roman oppression. Some went beyond that of the temporary to the eternal, that this was their creator, this was their Lord, this was their king. Within a week, some of those who were praising him were shouting, crucify him. This begins the Passion Week. Throughout Scripture, we see God's eternal plan from Genesis to Revelation for each one of us. In many of the characters in the Bible, you and I are reflected. As I look out here today and up in the balcony, many of you I know, some of you I know better than others. And how do we get to know each other better? Usually through interaction, talking every Sunday or every Wednesday, Sunday, doing things together, maybe going out for a slice of pizza, just breaking bread. Well, the message today is come to the table. And I'd like you to to turn with me right now in the Bible to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. 
We're going to look at and start up on verse 15. Jesus was invited to uh, this guy's house for dinner. They were breaking bread. Now at this table were various people, but most of the people at the table were people with a name, people with status. Jesus, of course, had been doing so many things in the region that this man wanted to invite Jesus. He was like the star of the time, the one that people were talking about. So they wanted to have, he wanted to have Jesus there. So if you follow with me in verse 15 of chapter 14, now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Do you know if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to be at that table? You're going to be at that banquet? You're going to be breaking bread with none other than Jesus Christ himself? That is a day that's ahead of us? Think about that. Think about the great banquets or dinners that you've had over the time. You think of Thanksgiving or you think of Christmas. You think of going out with friends and just the special time that you put aside to fellowship and to hang out and to laugh and to share stories. One day we're going to be at this table with Jesus Christ. This man says to Jesus, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, this is Jesus speaking in verse 16, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind, And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Interesting that these people were invited Initially, they said that they were going to come. Then when it was time for the supper, and they were told the time to come, that many made up excuses. And if you look at the first two excuses, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. Can you imagine that, buying a house before you see it, and then going to see it after you bought it? That's a lame excuse, isn't it? Or how about the second one? I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I think you should test them, right, before you purchase them to make sure they're okay. 
And then the other one said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Put in other people, put in relationships, before having that relationship with your Creator, your Savior, your Lord. So notice who they went out to invite. In verse 21, bring in the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. We want to look at that today. One of the things that I think we all want to do, desire of our heart, is to get to know our Savior better than we know Him right now. Regardless of how long you've been walking with Jesus. He wants to develop a more intimate relationship with all of you, regardless of your ages, regardless of if you're a believer right now or a non-believer, or maybe you're on the fence. He wants to reveal himself to you so he can develop a deeper relationship. I'd like to go back to 2 Samuel Chapter 9, starting with verse 5. Very interesting person here, but as we go through these, some of these situations and people today, I want you to identify with these people. I want you to be that person or group of people. Because I believe we are. We can associate, we can relate to the things that these people are going through in these stories today. So, in 2 Samuel 9, starting with verse 5, Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Meshir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David. He fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, Grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Then down in verse 11, Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Finally, in verse 13, so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. What is this all about, this particular story, and how does it relate to us today? with the title of coming to a table. Come to the table. See a table behind me set up here today. Jonathan, 
was best friends with David before he was a king. Before David was made king of Israel, him and Jonathan were BFFs. The best friends. Jonathan's dad was King Saul. The first king of Israel. The people's choice. But King Saul had disobeyed God. And one of the things that happened was King Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. Jonathan and David made a covenant that when David was king, that he would remember Jonathan's family. Because you have to understand, back in these days when there was a switch of kings, if there was any relation that could take the throne from the previous king, usually they were killed. So they couldn't overthrow the current kingdom. Well, when Mephibosheth was around five years old, and David was made king, there was a servant lady watching over him. And because of this tradition of killing the family of the previous king, she took Mephibosheth, ran with him, but dropped him. And that's how he got lame. That's how he hurt himself. And for the rest of his life, he was lame. Now, if you notice in verse 5 of 2 Samuel 9, it says that King David sent and brought him out of the house of Mashir, the son of Amiel. Remember, this was King Saul was his grandfather. Jonathan was his dad. They had everything at one time, but everything was stripped away. Everything was gone. He was even living in somebody else's house. He didn't have everything he once had. The area that he was living in, Lodabar, means no pasture. It was like a poor section. There was no life there. They were just living to get by. In verse 6, You have to remember that King David sent for him. And notice who initiated the conversation. Mephibosheth probably knew of King David, but I don't think they ever met yet. But notice who breaks the ice. It's King David. He calls out his name in the end of verse 6. Do you know that Jesus called out your name? He called out my name. He loved you before you first loved him. Think about that. He loved you before you first loved him. That while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Think about that. Just try to grasp that for a second. That while you were still sinners, Christ died for you and me. 
Now notice at the end of 7, or the beginning of 7, I'm sorry, David said to him, do not fear. Think when King David sent for Mephibosheth. What is he thinking? I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be locked up. I'm heir to my father's throne, and now there's a new king. What was David's response to him when they first met? He said his name. He knew him by name. Jesus knows you by name. David said to him, do not fear. Jesus is saying to you today, don't fear. Don't worry. What is it that you are concerned with? I am the God who created you. Do not fear. We know the scripture says perfect love. Cast out all fear. Notice Mephibosheth's response in 8. He bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? He humbled himself in the presence of the king. He humbled himself in the presence of the king. And that's what our God looks for us, to be humble in his presence. To be in awe. To be in awe of what he has done for us, that he's doing in us, and that he continues to do throughout our lives. Notice in verse 11 he says, He shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. He put him at the family table. You and I, he puts at his table. We're his sons. We're his daughters. We're not just ordinary people. We're the king's kids. He purchased us with a price. The blood that he shed on the cross. Now notice in verse 13 where Mephibosheth dwelt. He dwelt now in Jerusalem. He went from the place of no pasture. Can you imagine that? Wondering where your next meal is going to come from. Wondering if you're going to have enough shelter during that night. Having no peace that maybe this new king was going to kill you because you were the previous king's grandson. He goes from a place of no pasture, Lodabar, to Jerusalem, the city of peace. Goes from one region to another. You have come, if you're a believer in Jesus, from an area of knowing no peace, no security. Wonder what would happen if you were to leave this earth today. To a place of peace, knowing that the Prince of Peace is your Lord and your Savior. His name, Mephibosheth, brought with it shame. He was lame. He was shame and lame. How many of us here today feel shame 
for something we've done. Or feel lame that God could never use you. Well, you know, that's a lie. That's a lie. God living in you is capable of anything, of breaking down any barrier. Now, you might be here today, physically, everything is cool. But you might be spiritually lame. But remember in the book of Luke, Jesus went out, and who was he calling? He was calling the crippled, the lame, the poor, the destitute. You could have all the money in the world, but be spiritually broke. You might have the physical, the greatest physical fitness shape you could be in, but spiritually you're a weakling. There's a few people in Genesis 5.24, there was Enoch. Genesis 6.9, there was Noah. And in Micah 6.8, all says that they walked humbly with their God. How are you doing? How am I doing? How are you doing with your walk with the Lord? Today. Just today. How was it this week? How is it going to be this coming week? In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, it talks about offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, which means set apart, to the Lord, that it's our reasonable service, and that we shouldn't conform to the things of the world, but be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Spiritual service. You ever think about that in that first couple verses of Romans 12? Our spiritual acts of worship. Here's what you and I deserve. I'm just going to go through a few things. We deserve eternal judgment. We deserve no Holy Spirit. We deserve no peace. We deserve eternal sorrow. Eternal damnation, eternal pain, eternal weakness. We deserve no wisdom, no hope, no patience, no kindness. We deserve dishonor and shame. We deserve ridicule, unrighteousness, desperation. We deserve eternal death. We deserve unforgiveness. We deserve division. We deserve separation from God. We deserve eternal punishment, bondage, and aloneness. That's what we deserve. Those are the things we deserve. But guess what? In Christ, we get all the opposite of that. We get everything the opposite of that in Christ. Do you love to fellowship with Jesus? Can you really say, yeah, I really dig it. I really get into it. I can't wait to just be alone with the Lord. Is that where your heart is? 
Or you like the frozen chosen. Your heart's been so cold lately towards God. Meeting with God is not a Sunday morning thing. Did you know that? It's not a Wednesday night thing. Meeting with God is a 24-7, 365, until we meet Him face to face. It's a continual fellowship, continual hanging with the Lord. A.W. Tozer says that the goal of every Christian should be to live in a state of unbroken worship. Now, I looked up the definition or one of the definitions of worship. It's reverent honor paid to God or to any object regarded as sacred. One more time. Worship. Reverent honor paid to God or to any object regarded as sacred. So how is that reverent honor that you're paying to God? Remember, I invite you or you invite me and we break bread together. We're getting to know each other better. Better than we did before. We're interacting with each other. That's what fellowship is. It's getting together. It's interacting. It's getting to know your, each other on a different plane. Well, Jesus wants to get to know us continually on that different plane. We saw... Mephibosheth, lame in his feet. But yet he was singing at, uh, sitting at the... He might have been singing too at the king's table, but he is sitting at the king's table. And guess what? When he sat at the king's table, he was having fellowship with the king. And guess what was hidden when he sat at the king's table? His feet. There wasn't a lameness anymore. He was a son of the king. He was included in that. says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, to give God all of yourself. What does that include? It includes our hearts, includes our minds, our hands, our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes are to be given over to the Lord. In chapter 12 of Romans, verses 1 and 2, it talks about renewing your mind. Right now, you're renewing your mind. I'm renewing my mind as I speak to you God's words, as you're hearing God's word. You're renewing your mind by God's word. That's the glory of God's grace. Those spiritual mercies that are yours now in Christ, that before were foreign to you, are now part of His grace for you. Unmerited favor. He just gives it to you because He loves every single one of you. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, He loves you more than you can know. More than any human love could ever express. He loves you individually. He knows you by name. The grace of God is available to everybody in the world. Everybody. Many are called, but few are chosen. How are you chosen? You're chosen by reacting to His call to come to the table, to fellowship with Him. 
Personally speaking, I lack the appreciation for the magnitude of God's grace. I don't know where you are with that. I lack the appreciation of understanding the magnitude of His grace. We're indebted to His divine favor forever. When you think about it, forever. Remember all those things in the God's mercy? The eternal judgment, the eternal death, all that stuff? That's what I deserve. That's what you deserve. But mercy is not getting what you deserve. And because of God's grace bestowed on us, we heed His call, we come to the table, we fellowship with Him, and that relationship grows and grows, just like it grows with one another as you get to know each other better. Mephibosheth was a poor outcast. He was a crippled son. Well, you're a slave of sin. You're crippled. You're a captive of Satan. You're spiritually lame before you came to Christ. But now, in Christ, you're not only set free, you're a joint heir. You're a son or a daughter of the king. Romans 3.24 says, You are justified freely by His grace. You and me are justified freely by His grace. Justice is given what we're due. There's no favor, there's no mercy in justice. In grace, it's free favor. It's a giving of mercy and blessings to those undeserving. We outside of Christ, before Christ, are morally corrupt and wicked, and we cannot change our own nature. We need help. We're saved by grace, or not at all. I love that Jesus knows each one of us by our name. Hopefully your name is easier to pronounce than Mephibosheth. (laughs) But he knows your name. He loves your name. Because it's who you are. And he loves you so much that he died for you. In John 10.3, says he calls his own sheep by name. He doesn't say, hey, all you sheep, come on. No, he calls them individually by name. In Exodus 3, 4, he said, Moses, Moses. In Luke 19, 5, there was a guy who climbed a tree because the crowds were so great. He goes, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to eat at your house today. In John 20, 16, there was a lady brokenhearted because her Lord and Savior had just been crucified and buried. And Jesus Himself said to her, Mary. 
In Acts 9, 4, on a road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to his primary persecutor and said, Saul, Saul. And in Mark 16, 7, Jesus sent somebody to say, hey, tell the disciples and Peter. Why is it so big he said and Peter? Because Peter had denied him. He denied him. Have you ever denied Christ? Has your heart ever been broken? Have you ever wanted to get a better glimpse of Jesus? He's calling your name today. He's calling your name and my name. What excuse do you have? What excuse is in your way of preventing you from a deeper relationship with your Lord and Savior, with your Creator? What's holding you back? You know, those people that are in eternity right now, That land isn't important anymore. Those ox are not important anymore. That relationship with an earthly person is not important anymore. But what is is important, what is important, is their relationship with Jesus. That's eternal. Eating at the table continually... Mephibosheth didn't have to worry anymore about where he was going to get his next meal. He was at the king's table. Spiritually, you never have to worry about where you're going to get your next spiritual nutrient if you're in fellowship with Jesus. Do you see yourself like Paul as a chief of sinners? You are. I am. Your sin, my sin, sent him to the cross out of love. And before we knew him, before we loved him, guess what? He loved us. He died for us. He knew we would be here today. He knew. He knew what was going on in our hearts and he knows right now what's going on in each of our hearts. Mephibosheth was given back his forfeited inheritance. Not only was it given back, but it was better than before. Through Adam's sin, we lose our heritage. It was forfeited. Eternal life was forfeited. Our image in God's likeness was forfeited. The blessing of God was forfeited. But in Christ, everything's restored. Everything is restored. David, for Jonathan's sake, because of the covenant David and Jonathan had, restored the father's estate. God, for Jesus' sake, gives us back what was lost in Adam. How awesome is that? 
1 John 3, 1 says, What manner of love the Father gives us that we should be called the sons of God? You and I gain far more than we lost in Adam. Always know where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Remember, once you're seated at the king's table, your deformity disappears. In Jesus, all deformities are gone. In Matthew chapter 15, says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Verse 25, Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbled crumbs that fall from their master's table. Two things I'd like to bring out here is this was a Gentile woman who was asking for her daughter to be healed. She was interceding on behalf of her daughter. And she was persistent. Jesus had been in the Galilee region and he travels 50 to 60 miles to meet with this woman. He didn't take a car. He didn't take a helicopter. He walked it. He was willing to travel any distance to meet this woman. Do you know that? He'll travel any distance to meet you one-on-one. That's wild. And from the story that we read, doesn't look like he did anything else in that region. He just went back where he came from. That lady was on his heart. All she said was, Lord, help me. There's three words. Three words that you've never said to Jesus. Just say, Jesus, help me. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. Notice Jesus, though, said to her, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. He wasn't mocking her. This wasn't a put-down. But it was, also, it was a test. And notice her response. She said, yes, Lord, I'm like that little dog. I'm like that pet dog at the table. But even that pet dog gets to eat the crumbs from the family table. And Jesus was amazed and said, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. Can you relate to the woman at the table? Can you relate to Mephibosheth? Can you relate to the guy in the tree? Can you relate to Peter who denied Christ? Can you relate to Mary at the tomb who had fear? 
Can you relate to Moses? Who had the stress and pressure of his job to lead people. I think we can. I think all of those, you might be all of them, say, I relate to all of them. Or maybe you have a couple favorites that, wow, you're right. That's me today. That's me right now. One of the precious stories I think we all can relate to in Luke 15 is the prodigal son. In chapter 15, verse 22, it says, But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. What a feast that was, huh? Killing the fatted calf. What a table setting that must have been. For, and if you don't know the story of the prodigal son, he wanted his dad's inheritance before the father died. The father gave it to him and he went off and he just spent it on riotous living. Hedonistic. All about him. Then he ended up eating with the pigs. And he said, you know what? I could be my dad's servant and eat better than I'm eating here. I'm going back home. And he went back and restored the fellowship with the father. And the father threw a party for him. Killed the fatted calf. Showed him grace and mercy. And this is a story of God and his relationship with you and me. All of us were prodigals, right, before we came back to Jesus. Or before we came to Jesus. You might be a prodigal here today that thought you could make it on your own and found out that every choice, every direction you made was a dead end. That's God's mercy and grace. He doesn't want you to succeed on your own because you will be all alone for all eternity. He's calling you by name. If you've never accepted him, he's calling you to come to the table. If you have already entered into fellowship with Christ, he's calling you to a deeper relationship with him. Don't end it where it is. He wants more of you. He wants to reveal more of him to you. That's huge. And I don't care your ages. I don't care if you're a preteen, a teen. I don't care if it's Leah back in the crib. I don't care if you're older. It doesn't matter. Eternity is ageless. There's no time frame in eternity. But the relationship grows and grows deeper and deeper. He wants that relationship with each of us now in preparation for eternity. Last couple segments. We go to Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Now this was written to the church at Laodicea that had pushed Jesus out of the church. Maybe you pushed Jesus out of your life. 
He's one on, on your top ten list. He's one of the top ten. Or he was on the throne of your life, but you've taken him off and he's around that throne, but you've put something else or someone else on that throne. And he's saying to you today, you know, you need to replace, you need to put me back in my right place. It's just a matter of your heart. That's all it is. It's just a matter of your heart. It's coming to the table and putting things in order. That's all it is. It's easy. I think in my lifetime I've done that hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times. And each time I did it was a step in the right direction and a better direction, a more secure direction, a more, a more depth in that relationship with Jesus. And I found he was always there like the prodigal father, ready to receive me, ready to cover me, ready to feed me and protect me. The son in the prodigal son story deserved death. He deserved to be stoned. But his father wrapped his arms around him. God wraps his arms around every one of you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, he's drawing you to himself for that relationship that he wants with you forever. Everything else is just temporary. The last verse, Revelation is chapter 19, verses 7 and 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. In the Scripture, you're His wife. You're His bride. Are you making yourself ready? You do that by diving into His Word and and deepening that relationship and coming to the table and interacting with Him. Verse 9 says, Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was arrested, or I'm sorry, at the Last Supper, with the um, apostles, He said he wasn't going to drink from one of the cups again until the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's waiting for that marriage supper. And you know what he's waiting for? You and me and all God's children. He's waiting for that time when there's going to be a seven-year feast at the wedding supper of the Lamb when he's with all his kids. Are you his kid today? Are you his son? Are you his daughter? Do you want to be his son or daughter? Is he calling you today? Is this the day of salvation for you? You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. 
You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.